Well, we're over in the book of Ephesians, of course. We've covered a few things just in his introduction here from predestination and last time redemption, grace, all the things that grace offers for us. And we're going to continue on and, and go in here and pick up in verse 10. But that's just so we get the gist of all this. <clears throat> going back over to verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So His grace comes to us in all wisdom and prudence. And that is, that's just uh, we covered that last time. Uh, the different kinds of wisdom that are talked about here. Having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that the, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. Now we're going to cover over to the end of verse 14 here tonight. And again, this is all one sentence. We've broken it up in different parts, but Paul had it all in one sentence. But here in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now the word here, dispensation, is singular. There are dispensations in the Word of God. And these are different times in the Word of God. And how they came out, we had the dispensation of the law. That once the law was given, all the way up until the time of Christ is known as the dispensation of the law. But then we had the dispensation of grace, or you can call it the dispensation of the church, whichever one you want to. It's all the same time frame. In which the law was done away with. And God has, has uh, dealt with us in another way. But in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now times is plural. Dispensation is singular. What this is saying is that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, it is referring to a certain dispensation one that's why it's singular one in particular the one that is in focus here is the dispensation of the millennial reign because in the millennial reign is when all dispensations come to an end they all point to that that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him so in the in the millennium all things are gathered together in him all things. Now, of course, those that have been put off the punishment are not gathered together in Him. And they are in a, another place. But here's a dispensation of the fullness of times, the millennial reign. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. As we said, it refers to the final one, the final dispensation, the millennium. They are gathered together in one. Now, right now, heaven is is under one authority, and that is God. Heaven is under one authority. That authority is God, God the Father. But the earth is under two. We have Satan, who is called the God of this world, and we have Jesus, who is over his kingdom. That's why we're referred to as being in the world, but not of it. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We are of another kingdom. But we're here in this world. So right now we have two things going on. There are two heads. And the word of God has said you're going to serve one. You're not going to serve both. You're only going to serve one. So on the earth there is those, those that are under Satan. And there are those that are under Jesus. Because it is Jesus who, who's over this kingdom. God the Father is over the kingdom of heaven. The Son is over this one. And Jesus told us that in his parables. How he was going to, he had a kingdom, and he wanted to get another kingdom. But that was his kingdom. This is his kingdom. We as a church are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But then there's also Satan. Soon one will be destroyed and the other established forever. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? That'll be a, oh, that'll be a good one. And that's what is to come. But in the dispensation of the millennial reign, Satan's kingdom is abolished. He's gone. And there's only one rulership. And all are brought together under him. Now we know that Satan is released again. So that Phyllis and a few friends of hers can. <clears throat> <laughs> no, she always likes that part about. It. <laughs> 
So we know that he's released again and he's going to be able to pull some into a rebellion. And we can debate all we want to about who those people are. Are they people that are born on the earth or are they people that came from this kingdom and all that? And really, it makes no difference. Don't waste your time because we're not giving any evidence in Scripture as to which is which. So just say, I'm not going. And have a better confession than Peter did. (laughs) We talked about that on Sunday. (laughs) Have a better confession than Peter did. So soon one will be destroyed and the other will be established forever. But God, this this is the goal. We're bringing all things together under this one rulership. Under Jesus. Now, we can look at this and say, well, of all these, of all that's going on on the earth, there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and then there's the kingdom of Satan. What one is our people in? How can you tell which one? Well, whose will do you perform? The will of the one you perform is the one that you're in. That's why the Word of God cautions us so much about certain types of sins. Because they emulate the other kingdom. Pride is one. Doesn't the Word of God have a lot to say about staying out of pride and and making sure that doesn't get a hold of you? Because you get into the area of pride and you start to fall under the other kingdom. Because that's the nature of the one who rules that kingdom. Unforgiveness. Doesn't the Word have a lot to say about unforgiveness? See, that's a trait of the other kingdom. That's not a trait of of, of our kingdom. You get into unforgiveness... And you can start getting pulled over. You'll get pulled into the other kingdom. Don't get in under forgiveness. Don't get into bitterness. Don't get into offenses. These are things that will pull you over into the other kingdom. Don't do it. And you'll see, see Christians, you know, they allow bitterness to come in. They allow unforgiveness to get in. And pretty soon they're no longer even sensitive to the things of the Spirit. No longer hunger after the things of God. There's two kingdoms. The Word of God says you're going to serve somebody. Which one? Well, let's make sure that ours is, is the Lord Jesus. And then we stay that way. There are certain things, as we've talked about it many times, all sin is not equal. I don't know whoever started that rumor that all sin are equal. That is not true. It's not Bible. The Bible never teaches that all sin is equal. All sin is unequal. All sin is unequal. It is not that, yeah, well, telling a lie is just as bad as murdering somebody. Hogwash. That's garbage. That the, the sins that you do that affect other people are far greater than the ones that just affect yourself. The Word of God teaches us that. Because doesn't, doesn't the Word of God, doesn't Jesus Himself say, offenses will come, but whoa, <laughs> to the one through whom they came? What does Jesus say about the Pharisees who are teaching others to have a, a faulty Christian walk? <laughs> I mean, when God says, whoa, ho, ho, it's just not good. All sin is not equal. There are some sins that will have a little effect on you. There are some sins that will have great effect on you. And the Word of God cautions you about those that will have great effect upon you. Now, all sin is the same and that God can forgive all sin. But we looked at that last time. You know, grace abounds. Glory to God. Grace abounds. No matter how great the sin, grace is greater. That's not the issue. The issue is how much of an effect does it have on you? And there are some sins that will have a greater effect on you than others. Doesn't Paul even himself say about sexual sins? All the other sins you do are outside the body. This one you do inside the body. There's a difference. There's a difference between the oneness that you try and bring yourself into. With other people. There's a difference in, in just telling a lie, just cover up something that you did, and and uh, spreading rumors and, and saying lies about other people. There's a difference with all that sort of stuff. So you, you, you got to be careful you don't get into the will of, this, of Satan. Don't let him pull you into his will. Don't let, you, no, don't let him pull you into accomplishing his will. There's two kingdoms. He's trying to get you into his and do his, his bidding for his kingdom. But Jesus wants you in there for doing his. Let's stay in his kingdom. Well, he goes on in verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, past tense, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. It's already there. We do not work to become an heir. You cannot work to become an heir. How does one become an heir? 
You're born into it. You are born into airship. You don't work it. You don't work for it. You're born into it. That's how it comes. I heard this from, from my pastor out there in Tulsa. Inheritance is based on family. I didn't put it in quotes because I'm not exactly sure how he phrased it, but this came from him anyway. Inheritance is based on family ties, not our efforts. I'm sorry. Yeah, inheritance is based on family ties. You're born into it, not our efforts. Now he goes on here. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, already obtained, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now we look at this and people have taken this verse into all kinds of areas. You know, well, whatever happens to me, God must have willed it. That's garbage. That is hideous. And the, the Christian people would accept that is just wrong. <laughs> just because it happened to you has nothing to do with God's will. There are things that can happen in your life as a believer that are not the will of God. Understand that. There are things that can happen to you that are not the will of God. Of God. Some of those things you decide for yourself. You say, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to do this thing. And uh, we go that way and we do that thing, right? And God said, I didn't, I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> I didn't tell you to go over there. Uh-uh. I don't know what you're doing over there, but I didn't send you. <laughs> you're not there for my... But then in the same way, other people can do things against us. And God has no plan for it, no purpose. He didn't see this sit there and say, you know, it would be real great if somebody from Satan's kingdom would come over here and just afflict you for a while. I mean, I just, would that just be fun? I could get a little sport in here. It's been kind of a boring day. I just want to see you, you know, run for a little while here. Come on, what kind of God do you serve? But you see, the people in the world have a will. And they can decide to come get you. On their own. Or at the inspiration of Satan. Well, won't God stop that? Well, does God make them get saved? No, God does not orchestrate the will of any other person. The Word of God tells us in the Old Testament, He tells uh, uh, to Abraham, He said, Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Does it say that if He commissioned them to bless you, I will bless them? No, it says whoever blesses you. So I can decide on my own to bless him and then I'll get blessed. I don't need God to tell me, do I? I can just read in the Word of God. Word of God says, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Oh, you know, I'm going to get in on that. I like that idea, God blessing me. I want to get in on that. So what I do is I mix faith with the thing that has been said and I bless them. I say, all right, God, I'm ready. <laughs> bless me now. <laughs> and God says, okay. Because that's what he said. You said in your word. If I bless Abraham. Well, we also said that if I curse them. Well, if you're going to curse him, you, then you don't believe the word of God. And you decided, oh, I'm not going to believe that word of God. I'm not going to believe what's in there. No, no, I don't think that's right. And so I'm going to come after them and curse them. And we saw that there were some people in the Old Testament who decided to do that. Balaam was one of them. Balak and Balaam, the story of those two, they decided to conspire together and uh, one wanted to get a reward and the other one wanted to give a reward. I want to bless you for cursing them. That was his goal. And, and, and well, Balaam, he said, you know, I want to receive a blessing. So if I need to curse them in order to receive a blessing, I'll do that. But the word of God said, if you bless them, I will bless you. If you curse them, I will curse you. So he decided to go after another direction, another way. And God even stopped them on the road with a donkey. And he still didn't listen to it. Still went over there. And still intended to curse them from the mountains. But out of his mouth came blessing instead. But God knew what his intent was. And so he said, you intended to curse them. So Balaam was killed. Didn't go so well. I need to... Understand, just because people come against me, that's not God sending them that way. And I can go back before God and say, Father God, they're coming against me. If they come against me, they come against you. 
And if they come against you, I know what you'll do. So go ahead. I won't stand in your way. Go right on ahead. Do whatever you see is good. <laughs> you can do that. Maybe sometimes you'll, you'll get over there and say, well, Father God, don't hold this against them. Maybe sometimes you'll do that. Maybe sometimes you won't. I mean, there were some times that Paul probably did that, but more often than not, we're told that Paul said, go get them. They came after me. Go get them. Well, that's all right. You see, that wasn't in the purpose of God. If it was the purpose of God to have these people buffet Paul the way that they did, then why did God punish them? That's kind of ridiculous. So just because people decide to do things, we could spend time going through the Word of God and showing you time after time after time where people decided to do something against the people of God and paid for it. And God had no purpose behind it. But they did it anyway. He says, In Him we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. This is what He does. This doesn't mean that all things that come against you are His will. Because if you believe that, well, one, you're ignorant of Scripture and you're going to get so far being ignorant of Scripture. You, you're supposed to know. You're a believer. You are supposed to know what the Scripture says. The Scripture doesn't talk about that. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. One verse that some people think of often with this is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But this doesn't mean that all things that happen to you, God ordained it. God wanted it to happen. It has nothing to do with that. He just says, no matter what the enemy sends against you, I'll turn it around for good. That's all. How many times did the enemy come against Israel? Did God say, you know what? Just go against... Why don't you go... Go up there and attack Israel. They've been getting kind of lazy over there. They're just not doing a whole lot. Why don't you go up there and attack them? You know, get them to understand. Get on their toes. No. People decided, look at Israel over there. they got gold and they got silver and they got stuff. And we like to have some of that stuff. Let's go over there and get that stuff. And they come on their way. And sometimes God says, you know what? Just stand back. You watch me work. And sometimes he would say, no, go up this way. Or do this particular thing. Or dig holes. Or he had all kinds of stuff that he would have them do. And he would bring about victory. And they would go in there and they'd get all the stuff. So all the people came up against them. But instead of them winning, they left all their stuff. And Israel got it. In the end times, we're going to see that these nations rise up against Israel. And in a number in which a battle in which they are vastly outnumbered. Vastly outnumbered. They win. And it says, uh, the Word of God says it took seven years to burn all the weapons. Now, I read that, and I think a couple of things, one of which is if you're going to burn the weapons, whatever you burn is stuff you don't need. Right? You don't burn stuff you need. If you can use it, you don't burn it. You use it. So they apparently, out of, the, out of this whole battle, have enough weapons to keep for themselves. And they say, we just got too many. We got to get rid of some of these. They have a surplus. And there's no sense in giving them back. <laughs> you know what they're going to do with them. They just burn them. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. No matter what comes against you, you can hang on to this verse and say, Father God, whether you planned this, whether you didn't plan it, whether other people planned it because they had evil against meant for me or what. You said in your word that you will work all things together for good to those who love God. To those who love God. To who? To how can you tell if someone loves God? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Not no one here in the church, but you know people outside the church. Maybe you went out for Sunday after church and you went to a restaurant. And not people at your table where the church folks are, but <laughs> the table across from you. And you see a married couple over there. And you hear them talking with each other and complain, 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 complain. 
How many times have you ever sat across from, from another couple and you heard, heard their conversation because you knew you're in a restaurant, you're kind of close together, and you heard that, and how many times have you wondered, what in the world are they doing together? <laughs> they obviously don't enjoy each other. Complain, 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 complain. You all been there? You've heard those kind of things? Well, I don't get the idea that they love each other. So what's one indicator that we would have that we don't love God? Complaining. And we looked at some other areas of Scripture about complaining. Don't sit there and go to God and say, Well, God, I don't understand how you had this happen to me. I don't understand why you let this happen. I've been doing a good job serving you. I've been working hard for your kingdom. I've been praying. I've been reading your word. I've been going to church. I've been helping other people. Look at all the stuff I've been doing for you and this happens? Do you get the idea that you love God at that point? Is anyone else around you getting the idea that you love God at that point? Mm-mm. No, but if you go into that situation and the thing happened and you say to God, glory to God, hallelujah. How you doing, God? It's good to talk with you today. Boy, did you see what came to me today, what came in the mail? Mm. Did you see what happened, the phone call I got, the message was on my machine? Did you see what happened over at work today? Did you listen to that guy, what they said? Boy, am I glad that your word says that you will work all things together for good to those who love God. <laughs> oh, Father God, I can't wait to see how you're going to work this one out. I can't even in my wildest imagination figure out how this is going to be good for me. But I don't have to figure it out because it doesn't say that I work it out. It says you do. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God. It doesn't mean all things were good. It doesn't mean that all things were planned. It doesn't mean that all things were God-ordained. It means simply that no matter what it is that comes your way, no matter what the enemy throws at you, you stay in that place of walking in love with God. You stay in love with God. You keep on going on. And God will work all things together. Stop complaining. Don't have prayer sessions where you complain. Have prayer sessions where you give glory to God. Father God, I thank you for the things you're doing. You're working on this right now that I don't even know how you're working on it, but glory to God, you're working on stuff even right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Him also, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He is going to work all things according to the counsel of His will. So we can hang on to this verse just like Romans 8, 28. The key word here is things. Things. We talked about that in the Mark 11. Things are different from people. Things are different from the will that people have. Pharaoh decided to harden his heart against the things of God. And God said, hey, if you want to play ball, that's fine. Come on. And God said, it's going to take ten plagues. But in the end, he's going to want to do what I want him to do. <laughs> he's going to want to. He's going to drive you out. That's what he's going to do. He's going to want you to go. It'll come. It'll take 10 plagues though to get us there. Once we get that done, we'll be there. So the key word there is things. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So no matter what it is, no matter what things come into your life, keep walking in love with God. Keep walking and confessing His Word. Father God, I thank You that You work all things after the counsel of Your will. That You have a purpose. Now again, we started this whole thing, this, this whole section here in verse 10. We're pointing to the millennium. Everything points to an end. God is going to, to this end that right now we are in two kingdoms. We are a two-kingdom earth. There is Satan's kingdom and there is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And they are at war with one another. There are two kingdoms. We cannot operate in this world with the notion that there is one. In heaven there is one. But on this world there are two. And just because you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ, just because Jesus Christ has been crucified for you, just because He has given you the name that is above every name, that does not mean that there are not two kingdoms in this world. There are two. Now, 
the Word of God has been patterned according to a purpose. And the purpose is there is an end time for Satan. Satan, his kingdom, will not be abolished because you want it to go away now. That's not according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will is we're going to culminate this whole thing in a tribulation period. It's a seven-year period. At the end of that, I'm coming back and setting up my kingdom. And his kingdom is going to be over. That is the counsel of his will. That is his plan. That is his purpose. That's what he's pointing everything to. If you do anything, pray anything, desire anything that is against that, you are coming against his purpose. You're not understanding it. While we are here, there are two kingdoms. Oh, but it's so hard and I'm so tired. And so Jesus Christ is going to show up and say, Oh, I didn't realize you got so tired. Tell you what I'll do. Just wipe out the whole kingdom of Satan just for you, just so you don't get so tired. No, what's he going to do? Sorry. Two kingdoms. They are going on. But I will sustain you in this. And no matter what the other kingdom throws your way, I'm going to turn it around for good. They meant it for evil, <laughs> but I'm going to turn it around for good. They sent you something that was supposed to be bad. And I'll turn it around for good. The enemy wanted Daniel thrown in the lion's den for bad. And God turned it around for good. Those that were enemies of Daniel, he didn't have to do nothing. The king took care of them. Throw them in the lion's den and they're dead. Oh, that's, that's How many of you have some people that you would like to see <laughs> go into the lion's den? But, you know, you can't do that on your own. <laughs> but people orchestrate some things and God says, oh, it's all right. They're, you know, it's just like the Roadrunner and the, uh, who, the Wiley Coyote. Coyote. <laughs> you remember all those elaborate traps that they would do? And Roadrunner just go right on through. It shouldn't happen that way, but it always did. I'm convinced that all of the enemies of 007 never watch cartoons. I'm pretty convinced of that because, you know, they do all these elaborate schemes to get 007 and to kill him. And, you know, he just gets right out. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. No matter what the enemy throws your way, God's greater. He's greater. He'll turn around. But just stay in, just keep walking in love towards God. Don't get in there and complain and, and get angry and get bitter. Nope, nope. Father God, I'm just loving you. I'm just feeling good right now. Because mm. you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. And I understand the counsel of your will, that there are two kingdoms. But everything is pointing to the one kingdom being abolished and the new kingdom being set up. And so I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Because you know that new kingdom, how long does it last? Well, the first one lasts how long? has a time frame. A thousand years. Is a thousand years longer than you expect to be alive here on the earth? It certainly is for me. We were just having that conversation. You know, I've kind of said it before God. I said, well, I kind of have a, a, I don't want to go much longer than this. I said, that's, that's pretty much it for me. I just, I'll hit that spot and that'll be it. And I'll be happy. I'll be good. And I really don't want to be here much longer than that. If you're going to retire, then, you know, I'll be satisfied. You want to go for 120? That's more than I want to do. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, that, uh, that, that, that happens so much, but you don't, you don't just pick the day. Well, Father God, I want to go when I'm, you know, whatever, 45, and I'm done at 45. No, it's not going to quite happen that way, but. No, I don't want to be down on this earth forever. This is a two-kingdom battle. I, I understand I'll be down here for a little while and fighting the thing out and doing all that stuff, but then there's going to come a time and I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm good. Had enough. Because really, there's absolutely nothing that this world offers. Nothing that this world offers. Nothing. 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 <laughs> that the next one, it isn't bettering. <laughs> oh, it's better. Oh. So we never get too hung up on, on all that. We just keep our focus. I'm in this battle. I'm here to fight this battle. I'm here to fight this battle victoriously. I'm here to fight this battle... And understand, I'm walking in love towards people. I'm walking in love towards God. That's what I'm going to do. 
And there's an end game to this thing. There's a time limit. God has a time limit on this. And when that time limit gets hit, then we go into the seven-year dispensation, and then we go into the thousand-year dispensation. But everything's pointing to that. That's one. God's saying, all right, all these things are pointing to that one and one kingdom. But right now, two. Two kingdoms. Well, he goes on. Verse 12. Then we who first trusted in Christ, word trusted there is is, uh, from the word that means to hope in advance of other confirmation. A better translation of this word is hope. This word is only used here in Ephesians. But it is better translated hope. That we who, some translations will have that, some margins have hope in the, in the margin. But that we who first hoped in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Well, hope, hope in advance of another confirmation. Of other confirmation. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The word there, trusted, is in italics, but it's looked like it's, it's coming more to the part of believed afterwards. So that might be a good place for it. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, we first hoped in Christ. What was hope? That we believed that we were saved. That we are being moved from Satan's kingdom into God's, into Jesus Christ's kingdom, and that a better kingdom is coming. We who first hoped in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Our walk should be to the praise of His glory. Are the things that we're doing to the praise of His glory? Only we can answer that, can we? Well, God can answer it for you too, but maybe some people that are close to you. But we're going around grumbling and complaining. We're not operating to the praise of His glory. That we who first trusted in, who hoped in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Should be, that's potential. We should be to the praise of His glory. Doesn't mean we are, but we should be. Oh, let's get into that place. Make sure that the words that are coming out of our mouth are not, Oh, God, I can't believe this happened to me. Why in the words you let this happen to me? How could you let this go on? Oh, I can't believe this happened. Oh, my car broke down. Oh, my job. Oh, my fam. Oh, my house. Oh, my... No, come on. Glory to God. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You had faith in the word. Once you heard the word of truth, you had faith with it. You trusted in it. You believed it. Because you heard it. And you believed it. Some people heard the same word you heard and didn't believe it. You didn't do anything with it. I told you before, my wife and I, we've been listening to this series while we're in the shop, standing and doing other stuff like that, on, um, on uh, honor. And uh, Brother Keith was bringing up the, the point that some people... Just don't honor the word that they've they've been given. Because he was uh, talking to God, he said, "You know, uh, it's just it just amazed him because Brother Hagen's teaching had come to him, and they heard it, and uh, they they were excited about it, and eventually, you know, they went to school there, and then eventually they started teaching there and ministering there, and got to hear Brother Hagen all the time, got to travel around with Brother Hagen and go to all the different meetings, and they said, "Dear Lord, how is it that we <laughs> that we got set aside to to have all this?" Become part of our... How were we picked that way? And the Spirit of God came up on the inside of him and said, simply, because I knew you would honor it. And then he began to think about it. He says, well, you know, the first time I heard some of those tapes from Brother Hagen, I got excited about them, and I made some copies and gave them to some of our, some friends of ours. And I'd ask them, did you listen to that? Well, I didn't get to it yet, but I'll get around to it. I'll get there. And, you know, a couple weeks later, he'd follow up. With, did, you, did you listen? Did you hear it? Well, I started to. Didn't finish it. Is that a person who's honoring it? Is that a person who's esteeming it? No. Not at all. And that's why. And so the the word came to Brother Keith, because you would honor it. Because you would esteem it. You would value it. You would see that it would have something. But you see, there's some people out there, they'll hear the same word that you heard, and you'll get excited about it. Oh, this is going to help. Oh, this is going to be good. And you share it with them. I don't know. Not sure. It's okay. They're not honoring it. They don't value it. And it's how much we put value to a thing. We talked about food before. You know, I told you lobster to me is not worth it. It's just not to me. It's just not worth it. 
I don't know the last time I had lobster because, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, you're going to spend $15, $16, $17 for lobster. It's not worth it to me. Absolutely not. I'd far rather buy a chicken sandwich from Wendy's for 4 bucks than a lobster dinner. I just, I mean, it's okay. It's all right. I don't dislike it, but I don't like it as much as they value it. And so if I go in on a menu and I look at the menu and I see lobster, $17, I'm thinking, I wouldn't enjoy that because I don't value lobster at $17. That's a lot of money to pay for, for a meal. I want to make sure that I'm going to enjoy the thing, right? It's, 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 uh, right? I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not esteeming that. I'm not putting that kind of value on that thing. What's, your, what's the value that you put on the Word of God? What's the value that you put on, on hearing things on faith and on love and on trust and belief and how we are to walk? What's the value that we put on that thing? It'll, it'll show by the way that you honor it, by the way that you esteem it, by the way that you go after it. We, we go after the Word. I go after the Word on a continual basis. Constantly listen to the Word. I'm always listening to Every day, I'm listening to somebody teach something. I may listen to something that somebody already taught. I still have Brother Hagin's. All of Brother Hagin's teachings I have are, st- are always, always, always. You could tell me, stop me anytime. They're always on my iPod. I never take them off. Because I may just say, you know what? I just need to go back over and listen to that thing. And I want to make sure it's there. Because I'm going to listen to it. I'll, I heard this before. Yeah, I'm going to hear it again too. I'm going to listen to it again. Because I esteem it. We need to esteem it. We should esteem listening and hearing the word. Some people, you know, they, they get enough word. Well, I was at church on Sunday. Why should I be listening to the tapes today? That's, there's no point in that. But there's some folks out there that just can't get enough. They're just going after it, going after it, and going after it, going after it. Hmm. What are we going to do? My sister was telling me about her, her son. He's, he's getting into the Word. He's, uh, he's about to Christian Christian's age, and he's out working, and he's got an iPod like I do. <laughs> he got the same one, and he figured out how to download stuff from the Internet and put stuff on it. And he told me in one week, I think it was, I think it was one week. Now, he'll be listening to this thing later on, and he'll tell me about whether I got it right or not. <laughs> but I, I just was, my sister was the one telling me. He, I was overly impressed. I think in one week he went through 72 sermons. In one week. Now, that's a, that's a person right there that's esteeming the Word of God, isn't it? <laughs> I said, man, that's, I'm not even at that pace. <laughs> that's, that's good. Boy, that's good. But you see, some people esteem it and it will affect their life. It will affect their life. And other people, they just don't esteem it the same way. Oh, you've got to make sure that you esteem the things of the Word of God, that you do that. I've, I, mean, some, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but when I first started listening to tapes and getting stuff, uh, one of the tapes, first set of tapes that was ever list, given to me was uh, uh, um, oh, just just uh, lost his name. It'll come back to me here in a minute. And he was doing some things on walking in the spirit, and he would teach in such a way that oh, I, could, it was having, I was having a hard time getting it. And I would listen to the tape three, four, five, six times. And I still wasn't getting it all. And so I finally just sat down with the tape and wrote out what he said. Wrote it out. And then sat there and looked at it. Studied it. I'm going to get this down. I'm going to get this down. And I'll tell you what, I, pr- I pretty much near wore out those tapes. But I was going to get this thing. Now since then, I've gotten a lot better at picking things up faster. <laughs> but then it, it was I going through slow. I got, I'm going to get this stuff. I'm going to get it. We've got to esteem these things. Always esteem the things of God higher. Higher than anything else. Get the Word of God in you. Never slack off from it. Oh, so as soon as we start slacking off from absorbing the Word, it, it's not good. It's kind of like golf. I'm not a golfer. I don't want to be a golfer. I have no desire to be a golfer. Because I understand that if you want to be a golfer, you have to be at it all the time. That there is no such thing as getting your golf game up to a certain level. And well, I got it there. And then putting it down for a year and coming back. 
You have to work at it every all the time. Every day, a couple times a week, something. You've got to stay with it. You've got to stay with your Christian walk. Just because you get it up to a certain level doesn't mean it's going to stay there. You've got to stay in the Word of God. You've got to esteem those things highly. In Him you also trusted after you heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Whatever word of truth it is that we heard, salvation or anything otherwise, all make sure that you esteem it highly. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed. Now, in order to understand what this is, we've got to understand what was a seal used for. A seal in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, a seal was used by someone of royalty or someone of position and they would have a seal of the house, of their position, of their authority that they were under. And they would have that seal. And they would take the wax and they would put it over the letter that was there. And then they would take their seal and they would seal it. And that would say, no one opens this except for the one for whom it's intended by the authority of the one who has the seal. And if you break the seal... Before, it, before, and you're not the person who it's intended for, then the wrath of that authority, of that person that it was meant for, or who sealed it, is going to come after you. That wasn't for you. That was sealed. And it says right on there who it's to. You broke that seal. And they held that pretty high. That's what a seal was for. This means, folks, that we are sealed for Jesus Christ. That God the Father has taken His seal, the authority of heaven, and He put that on us. Not an envelope, but on us. And He wrote on that for Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For Him. That's what we're there. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the seal. He's the seal. When we believed, the Holy Spirit came to us. We have the Holy Spirit now. And that Holy Spirit is a seal that says to all around, this one is intended for Jesus Christ. This one's intended for Jesus. I have the seal. Where's the seal? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the seal. And then he goes on in verse 14. He says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. A guarantee, as it's used in this context, is much like most of us have gone through uh, uh, the process of buying a home. Whether you bought a home, maybe you bought a car, something like that. But if you're going to buy a home, and you come to a home and you say, I like this house. It's on the market. A lot of other people coming on through. I like this house. We're going to put an offer in on this house and say that they offered, they were asking $150,000 for the house. You agreed that was a good price for the house. We're going to do, so you write up an offer. If you all been through this, you know, an offer is not one little piece of paper. It's about 50,000. And if you've ever done that, you know, they, you got to sit down at the real estate office and you got to go through each one. Now this one says this, and this one says this, and this, and you know, you, may go in there with their purpose. I want to read everything. But then once you see the stack of stuff, you say, what's that one about? <laughs> Just give me the rough idea here. Give me the Cliff Notes version of the thing. And so you go through all the different things and all the stuff that's on there. And then you sign the ones you have to sign and know about the ones you have to know about. And then at the end, <clears throat> they're going to say, now, in order for them to take the house off the market, they're going to want to know that you're serious. So they're going to ask you for a guarantee. And the guarantee is just that we will come back at settlement and we'll, we'll, we will pursue all the things we have to do so that settlement will have all the things that we need to have and that we can buy the house. And that settlement is a portion of the purchase price. And you, I mean, every time it's different. For, for one house, you may put this much. But the more that you offer to put up, the more they know you're serious. That you've got something going on. That you know, five dollars isn't going to do it. Here's five. Here's a five spot. Just tell you I'm coming back. No, you'll just walk away from that quick enough. 
it's got to be something that, that ensures that you have some risk. That you're just not going to walk away from it. So they're going to want some thousands of dollars. They're going to want to see something come up there. Well, the Holy Spirit, understand this. How good is the Holy Spirit for us? Oh, I mean, He is the bringer of comfort, truth, revelation, inspiration, power, all kinds of stuff. But understand this. He is only the guarantee. <laughs> He's only a portion. I mean, is that just, does not that just blow your mind? That He is just the guarantee of our inheritance. That Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to come back and I will have the whole thing with me. <laughs> but in the meantime, just to show you that I'm serious, <laughs> that I am going to come back, Here's a guarantee. And He gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a portion of what is to come. He's just a portion. And I mean, He's good. He's good. It's good to have the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. But He's just a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of of His glory. Oh, man. Holy Spirit, He's just our guarantee. Boy, if He's the guarantee, what is the inheritance like? How good can the inheritance be if He's just the guarantee? And so what He does with all this is He puts us into the whole picture of what's coming up. All things with God point to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. All things with God point to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. All things. God has said it so that He says you are in a two-kingdom world. But no matter what the other kingdom throws your way, keep walking in love towards me. Stay in faith. And I will turn whatever they threw your way to something good. Don't get complaining. Don't get to fussing. Stay with God. Believe. Because I want you to look at the whole thing. We are pointing to the time when the second kingdom is abolished. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ reigns. And that's all that there is. Look forward to that time. That the time is coming when I bring all the inheritance here. But in the meantime, here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Here's my guarantee. Here's your guarantee that everything that I promised is coming. Everything that I promised is coming. Here's your guarantee, Holy Spirit. All things with God point to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. Is it the same with us? Are we that focused? Are we pointing to a time, a plan, a purpose? Are we pointing to an end? Father God, I can go through what the world puts me through here. I can go through what others in the church put me through over here. I can take what things come my way because I'm here for a time. I'm here for a purpose. But there's a plan and there's an end. And I'm going to keep that end in mind. And the Holy Spirit is my guarantee that all the things that God promised that are coming in the kingdom to come, my mansion, streets of gold, Gates of pearls. A kingdom where Jesus Christ is the head. Overall. A tribulation time where the people of this world beat each other to a pulp while we watch upstairs. Glory to God. There's a, there's a purpose. There's a plan. And there's an end. Always keep in mind, we're down here for what? 65, 75, 85, 95, 105, 120. But all for it's to come. There is nothing we're going through down here 
That is so bad. If we keep the end in mind. If we keep the future. What's going on? Father God, I'll keep doing what you said. I'm sure that Jeremiah had to be thinking about some of these things. Maybe God shared with him some of the book of Ephesians before. It was written. Gave him some of the truth that was there. Just keep your eye on the head. Just keep your eye on the, on the goal that's coming. So Paul, in his introduction to the book of Ephesians, draws us out with all this to let us know that God has a purpose. God has a plan. That everything with God is in His time. And He has the time figured out. And it's all according to plan. And no matter what the enemy throws our way or throws in God's way, it does not stop the plan. No matter what people did in the Old Testament, David going after Bathsheba, shouldn't have done it, gave opportunity for the enemy, but God still took that and incorporated it into the plan and made it work. No matter what happened with Israel and all the things they did to mess up, God put it into the plan and said, all right, we'll make it work too. If God could take those things and make them work, how much more can He take what the devil has thrown at you and make it work? The devil intended it for evil. But God, as the Word of God tells us, will turn it around for good. He'll turn it around for good. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the help that You give us. That there is nothing in this life we're going through now that's too great for us to keep on going. We won't ever blame you for the things that are coming down upon us. We'll never sit here and complain and gripe and fuss and moan. But Father, you are God. You didn't, as being God, you didn't cause these things to happen. You didn't have to allow these things to happen. People sometimes just decided to do harsh things. But you said, hey, if they bless you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, I'll curse them. Oh, Father God, what power is at our disposal? Help us to not get hung up with the little bitty things that are going on around us. Help us to stay focused on how great our God is and that there is nothing, nothing that can happen in this world that surprises you, that throws you off. Nothing. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.